What's up, guys? Welcome back. I'm Colton McCormack, and this is the Certified Wrench Podcast. We're on video today, sort of, and recording. I, how does this work? How do I explain this? We're doing two recordings at once. <laughs> uh, techie. Techie. So, over streaming here, I've got a special guest. A lot of people have heard about him. I didn't hear about him until he approached me which I'm sorry, sir. Um, I actually talked to my coworker and I'm like, Hey, do you know who this guy is? And he's like, yeah, I've been following him for years. (laughs) (laughs) I have Josh blank last name, also known as the adept ape, right? Are you the the adept ape? I'm the adept ape. I didn't even used to say Josh on the early videos, but yeah. Yeah. I'm really giving away all my top secret. Info here. <laughs> Josh is a, a Caterpillar technician and he runs the YouTube channel Adept Ape. And I've actually been catching up on his videos and quite blown away, man. Honestly, you do a, you do a great job. I really like the, how you record your videos and then you voice them over good sound quality. You know, you can explain what you're doing instead of trying to do it when you're working on the machine. I'm sure you do that too, but yeah, I, some, I kind of picked up and, uh, I, I think I was mentioned on what, like your third episode. Um, cause one of the guys that works said, Hey, there's this guy and you were mentioning one of the episodes and I was like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and I, I forget which episode it was, but he said, yeah, I listen to this uh, cat tech who does voiceovers. And I was like, they didn't mention me hmm. by name. I'm assuming they were talking about me. But, Maybe um, I, yeah. I had to go back and listen, but that's, yeah. It's an old one, huh? I think it was your third episode. Because um, I started listening to it here. Uh, if what he was saying was true, and the episode he gave me wasn't, so I ended up, list- I liked the podcast. So I was like, I'll just listen to it all the way through. And yeah, I think it was episode three. But hmm. um, yeah, it was just in passing. Um, so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I'm like a mini, I'm not a celebrity by any stretch of the imagination. But it is weird when people either notice me um like if I'm talking to a customer on the phone, because I have a kind of a distinct voice, they'll be like, oh, my God, I know who you are. Or uh, I've been at Denny's or Home Depot, and they're like, are you this guy? <laughs> I'm like, yes, unfortunately. I have never been recognized out in public. That'll change one day. One day, maybe. I've got, you got a million subscribers. <laughs> what, what are you? So how long have you been doing YouTube? Uh, like eight years. Uh, I started around the end of 2015. Um, and I had, you know, the name Adept Ape, like it has nothing to do, obviously, with engines or anything. And um, I picked that name because it's it's nebulous. It doesn't it doesn't tie into any industry. So I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a political podcast or maybe I'll do whatever. <laughs> um, not to get into politics. I never get into politics on <laughs> my videos. I don't think you do either. But no. um, I ended up doing a video about talking about what it was like to be a diesel tech. And that's the first video that did well. And that kind of, it took off from there. And that's kind of the direction the channel has been ever since. So no, what, how many followers or subscribers? I can't talk. Subscribers. Are you at now? Uh, 213,000 and something, some change around there. And you get a plaque, right? The one obviously behind you, but you get that yeah, at 100,000, right? You get it at a hundred thousand. Yeah. They have tiers. Like there's, it's like the, 
emerald tier or something when it's 10,000 or above, but they don't get a plaque for that. And then the silver plaque here, um, I hate when the light gets on it, but anyway, um, yeah. And then there's a gold plaque, which I'll probably never get. That's a million subscribers. So that would, you know, it's taken me eight years to get 200,000. I'd be, you know, 400 years old by the time I get a million, but I don't know. We'll keep growing. Hopefully. You never know. You never know. I'm sure uh, you'll get a couple more subscribers out of this podcast. Well, I hope so. I know a lot of people are excited to, that you're coming on. So cool. Well, anyway, let's, uh, before we go crazy on questions and stuff like that, uh, let's talk about your background a little bit and where you started and what you're doing now. Okay. Well, um, I guess like my mechanic background, it seems like most of the people on your, that I've listened to on here, you know, they were disassembling lawnmowers in diapers and, Mm -hmm. uh, I never really wanted to be a mechanic. I didn't, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, neither of my parents, my dad, especially is not mechanically inclined at all. Um, he was, he was never a mechanic. He was never a tradesman of any sort. My mom's side of the family, not my mom, but, um, we have like a welder and electrician and stuff on her side of the family. And I never really had any interest in any mechanical stuff outside of like when I was 14, we lived in the the South and we had like 20 acres, but there was just wooded. And I ended up buying a Farmall Super A, which if anyone knows like old tractors, this is like an offset engine, 1940s uh, gas tractor. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I got a little bit of interest in, uh, mechanic field with that, but we ended up moving. Um, we had lived in Las Vegas for most of my life and then we ended up moving back and anyone knows Las Vegas, not a lot of tractors around there. Um, sure. yeah, so <laughs> Vegas is like 2 million people. Um, and it's dry and hot. Uh, and yeah, it's got gambling and like there's hiking cause it's surrounded by yeah. mountains and stuff, but it's, it's not an outdoorsy town really. So, um, Growing up, I never really had an interest in that. And then in my late teens, I ended up buying um, a 1967 Chevy Impala. And that thing was a enormous pile of crap. But it was like my (laughs) daily driver. And I wanted an old muscle car because I thought they were cool. Not, I mean, an Impala muscle car, quote unquote, not really. But um, to me, it was, you know, it weighed 5,000 pounds and had a 200 horsepower 327 in it, um, which I thought was fast. But at the time it was constantly breaking down. Um, so I ended up taking a few automotive courses cause I kind of learned that I like tinkering with it. And I worked for a hardware store at the time. Um, I know you don't like company names. We'll just say they wear very orange aprons. <laughs> and, um, so I started taking like these automotive classes. This is after high school. Um, and I was like, hey, I really like this. Um, I think I want to be an automotive mechanic. And I, I had no idea what I wanted to do for a career. Um, I thought maybe I want to be a history professor. I was really into history. Um, I'd gotten my health and life, health and life insurance salesman license in Nevada because my dad had done that in his youth. And to tell you the truth, I hated that more than anything on the planet. Um, so I was taking these automotive courses at the college. It was Community College of Southern Nevada at the time. Now it's the College of Southern Nevada. And they have a very good automotive program. And my best friend's father worked for the cat dealer, which was, uh, it was Cashman Caterpillar in, uh, in Nevada. And they've since been bought out, but, um, I now 
I worked there. I started a job there, kind of an entry level job, um, not making very much money, not as a mechanic, but as a they called them lot attendants. So basically you get generators like light towers, small generators, and basically you clean them and run cable on them and do minor repairs. And I was taking the automotive courses on the side. And then they were like, hey, do you, what about being an actual diesel mechanic? I'd never thought about doing that before I got the job at um, Caterpillar. So I said, okay. So I moved over to the service side and that was on the power generation side, not on the truck side. And I did that for several years. And then um, after about four years of doing the power generation side, I moved into the truck shop side. And that's pretty much the story ever since is I've worked in the truck department uh, for Caterpillar. And a few years ago, I ended up moving from Nevada up to Idaho, where I work for uh, Western States Cat now. Um, and I, they know I work there and I, I say where I work on YouTube. I don't know if it bothers you're not saying what the company name no, is. No, no, but that's, 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 that's all you. Work, so. I just okay. try to avoid company names because I don't want to get sued. Oh, no, uh, no. They're, I told them I was going to be on their podcast. They, me and their, like, I have marketing meetings with the company all the time. Like, that's uh, cool. me and them have a very good working relationship together. They're fully supportive of the videos and stuff. Nice. Sorry, I'm texting my wife because I need her to turn the upstairs AC unit off because I'm getting feedback. <laughs> wind okay uh, but you're good um no you're, you're you're completely fine speaking you know about them um you know i've had i don't know if you know who zeth key is he has zk master tech he yeah was, i've seen a couple of his, i listened to the podcast he was on here and i've seen a couple of his know, videos he's he, a john deere tech right yeah he he kind of has the same thing that you do you know records at work and they you know use him as advertising and all that stuff um, you know, I'm, I'm completely okay with that. I just, you know, sometimes I do a little bit of shit talking, <laughs> um, about recent, you know, companies I've worked for and, you know, I could just say, Oh, that John Deere dealership I used to work for. And there's a million John Deere dealerships. So they, they don't really know. Yeah. And they can't really prove anything, <clears throat> but that's well, free cut. Wow. Yeah, free country. <laughs> yeah, so. but you know, I'm not, I don't want to put anybody's brand down, you know, and get in trouble. Yeah. Um. Well, that was a quick little run through. I thought you could talk, man. Just I can kidding. talk if you want to keep going. I thought your like your house was on fire or something. You were over there like jumping oh, no, up and down. Trying and, to. Yeah. There's a vent right above me, and I was trying to close it, but it ain't working. I can't reach it. But. Anyway, no, you're good. Uh, what made you decide to move to Idaho? Uh, so around 2020, um, the world was ending, apparently. Spicy cough. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, interesting stuff going on that year. And we'd actually been thinking of moving out of Vegas for a while. Me and my wife, we have, uh, we have many young children. And uh, we were looking at possibly going to Reno, which would have been the easiest thing because the dealer territory. So well, your wife works for Cat, like. Cat has exclusive dealer territory, right? So there's no overlapping territories with Caterpillar. Uh, the cat dealer in Nevada, they have pretty much the entire state of Nevada outside of the little, you know, the border doesn't exactly follow this Nevada state uh, border. So we were looking at getting out of Vegas. It's super hot there. Two million people there uh, looking at going to Reno. But problem with uh, Reno, my wife was getting a job uh, or looking for a job as she was getting out of school. And 
Reno didn't have any paid internships, so we would have to she would have to work for free basically for a year while paying for childcare. And um, Reno's got some growing pains. Their housing prices there uh, at the time, and I believe still currently, are insanely high. Um, Idaho at the time was a little cheaper, although Idaho home prices have gone up uh, insanely high also, but that's yes. kind of outside of my control. <laughs> so um, we ended up finding where we did end up moving to in Idaho. They had a paid internship. So she her first year would be paid. Um, I had actually some relatives on my dad's side that actually live in the area that I live in. So that was nice uh, to have someone because we don't have parents or anything here, really. Um, not within thousands of miles, really. Um, so that's kind of why we picked Idaho. And it just so happened that the area we were looking at has the Western States dealer is three miles away um, from the house we were running at the time. And they had a truck. I forget the exact terminology for it. They've changed it a few times and they didn't have it at my old dealership. I believe they called it like tech level four or something. It's like the highest truck level. Mm -hmm. So that's what I applied for. And they'd had this, this uh, application up for like a year. And I guess either no one had applied for it or no one, no one fit, fit the bill. So uh, I applied, you know, and coming from a neighboring cat dealership, um, I figured, oh, I'll get a call back right away. That is not the case. <laughs> I didn't hear anything for two weeks. And I even, um, so I ended up calling here and I said, hey, uh, yeah, I applied there. I, we plan on moving up there. I, I'd really like to know if I could get a job there. And uh, kind of the answer I got was like, oh, yeah, we saw that. We, you know, we were going to call you. And it's like, oh, okay. So, but um, ended up me calling there and kind of poking at them. Uh, I did get the job, obviously. And that's how we got up here ever since. And luckily, because not all cat dealerships have truck shops. Um, you know, if you don't know, cat hasn't made a truck engine since 2010. But there's still a lot out there. And uh, a lot of people still like to go to cat dealers if they have cat engines. And um, so we kind of I lucked out that they had not only an equipment shop, but it's also a truck shop here. And that's where I've been working at ever since 2020 is the Western States dealer here. What do you like better? trucker machine oh i hate earth <laughs> i don't want to okay i don't hate earth moving earth moving equipment has engines in it i like working on engines yeah. i don't really like working on uh i don't even really like working on trucks per se like i don't like i don't like doing brakes i don't like doing clutches stuff like that um i will do them obviously but my real specialty and what i'm good at and like my videos obviously there's not a lot of me changing clutches videos so mm -hmm. um Engines, engines, what I like and equipment has engines. I don't mind working on the equipment engines. Um, I have done like one set of tracks. I'm not really good with hydraulics. I am very good with electrical though. So um, I would say I like the cat engines more than either trucks or equipment. And luckily they're in both, but generally I, I stay on the truck side. Um, but, you know, one day there's not going to be that many cat truck engines out there yeah. anymore. You know, we're getting several several years passed when they were in their prime so um anymore i've been more and more on the equipment side and you know it just is what it is it's it's a fact of life that the industry i'm in is changing just like everyone and mm -hmm. uh I'll, I'll make the best out of it but so far everything's been working out fine yeah i, I nerded out <clears throat> dang man I, my allergies oh uh i nerded out on your purple truck videos um oh really yes. yeah that was a good that's just such a good video of, you know, you cutting the, for the sleeves and 
I was just like, if I had popcorn, I'd be sitting there eating it. I was sitting <laughs> in my garage, just like <laughs> watching so, such good videos, but right on, man. Uh, well, I, I figured you to give us quite the long background and all that good stuff, but that's okay. Um, I can I can go into the background of like no, the YouTube no, no. channel or any, oh, any other I, specific things you want. So I wanted to talk about YouTube. You know, I definitely um, not necessarily the monetizing side of it. You know, just what's the best way to put it? Uh, how how did you actually like get a company to be okay with you doing what you're doing with YouTube or you know any of that stuff? Let's talk about that first. Uh, that's a good question. So that's, that's a very complicated question too. So the old dealership I used to work at in Nevada, um, which actually, like I said, doesn't really exist anymore. They got bought out by a different cat dealership. Uh, when I started doing the videos, I didn't tell anyone. Like I just, and that's also why I never said even my first name or where it was or anything. Mm -hmm. Like when I was working in Las Vegas, I never said I, I was at Las Vegas, never said what dealership I was at. So what I started doing was like my first mechanic videos, I was just talking about being a mechanic, but then I like taking footage at work and I was very secretive with like how I did it. Um, I told my direct supervisor about it, but me, if you work for a cat dealer and you work on either the power generation side or the truck side, you know that that's like their own little department that mm -hmm. kind of the equipment side, which is a much bigger department generally doesn't care about at all. Um, so being in the truck shop side, my supervisor at the time was super cool. He was like, just, you know, kind of do whatever you want. They'll say where you work or anything. Um, just stay incognito. So that's what I did. Um, and I did that for, you know, up till 2020 for several years. And there was never really was an issue. Um, you know, and I made, I, I don't know the amount of videos I did before 2020, but it's got to be over 100 videos. Now, not all of them were in the shop, but many of them were. And it was a, never a problem. Um that I know of. Maybe there were some meetings about it and they were like, Hey, let's just leave them alone or whatever. But, uh, I never said the company name or anything, even though I was on company property when I was uh, recording, <laughs> uh, just kind of, you know, just kind of stayed in my own little corner and no one seemed to mess with me. So when I started at the dealership I'm at now, I told them up front, I was like, Hey, look, I said, you know, I'm a mechanic. I said, but to let you know, I've got this YouTube channel here. It's got, I had like a hundred thousand subscribers at the time. And it's a pretty, it's very important to me. Let's just say, if I can't do the videos, I need to know now because I'm not going to take the job. Um, wow. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's that important that, cool. um, you know, because it's, it's monetized. You know, if people don't know that. Like when you watch a YouTube video, there's ads on it. I don't mm. put the ads in there. Mm. Like YouTube does that, but people pay for ads and as someone making the video, you get some of that money. So um, I let them know up front uh, at the dealership I'm at now. And they said, oh, okay, we'll find out. And uh, they said, that's fine. You know, um, you're not breaking our company policy. You're following cat procedures. Um, you know, there's no problem with it. So I, you know, did that for about a year and I was still doing the videos and stuff. And then apparently, I don't know exactly who it was. It was something, someone way above me it uppity up in the company um apparently they found it they're like hey this guy is at work recording videos what the heck's going on um of course and there were all these meetings yeah all these meetings and stuff and i'd already been there for like a year 
And then they're like, uh, you can't do videos anymore. And this was like right before Christmas. It was like the 23rd of December or something. And it was like a gut punch. Cause I, I'm like their lead engine mechanic. Um, I've been making these videos for years and, you know, I'd never said where I worked or anything at that time either. And I was, to tell you the truth, I was going to quit. Mm -hmm. um, I started looking for, uh, it, you know, you've had many independent guys on your, sh on your uh, channel. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I was thinking of doing. I was like, it's just, it's not going to work. Like I started having a really bad, and I'm usually, I have a good attitude towards the company I worked for. Cause if I don't like the company I work for, I'm not going to work for them. And like my morale just went down. Um, well, apparently behind the scenes, there were other meetings going on and about, it was like a couple weeks after that meeting, um, we had another meeting and basically they said, Hey, you know what? We had a bunch of meetings and the marketing department said, are you insane? You don't want this guy doing videos. Like this guy has a huge following. Why don't you, instead of saying, don't do that, why don't we promote it? So, um, that's what they did. And ever since then we've been rocking and rolling. Um, now they don't directly like they're paying me per hour, but I do the video footage as I work. And then I do the videos at home. But we've done giveaways for with Western States. Um, I've done a couple like I was down at the main headquarters last fall for a uh, operator challenge. And um, so, yeah, currently it's it's been good uh, for the well over the last year because uh, me and them work perfectly together. I would say I hope they have the same feeling, but um, <laughs> it brings in business to the shop because. I've had like the truck I was working on today. It's a guy that wouldn't have been in the area. He ended up, the reason he's up getting it worked on in Western States is because he likes my videos. So he wanted me to work on it. That, that happens surprisingly more than I thought it would, but um, so it gets them more business. It keeps me busy. It lets me do videos. It's a, I think it's a win for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's why I do it. So that's, that's kind of what it's like working for a company. And I'm sure many cat dealers, probably that relationship would not work. And Luckily for me, I work for a cat dealer, Western States cat that allows me to do that. And uh, I think it works out for the best for both of us. Yeah. I just don't get like, you can't do that. It's like, what am I hurting? It's not like I'm like going, oh, I work for this company and they're a shitty company. It's yeah. like, I'm working on this engine. You know, I can understand if it was like wasting time and you're getting paid for it and you're focusing on your, your camera or your phone versus actually working might be an issue but if you're recording do you set up like tripods and clamps and all that stuff to record yeah i've got a, a bunch of different setups um i've got a couple different cameras i use my phone a lot though because yeah. you know phone cameras now are so good and yes. you always have it with you mm -hmm. um i've got like i bought a time-lapse camera uh, i bought a, like a 500 hour hd camera last year and tell you the truth i don't use them as much as i thought i would so yeah as far as like the the gear I have, uh, I don't have a lot. I bought a kind of like a GoPro chest cam for cameras last week. So I can now work with two hands instead. Cause <laughs> usually like if I'm doing a preliminary, well, you've seen a couple of my videos, like where I do the walk around, it's usually I'm holding the camera with one hand and then I'm like checking the oil with one. And it's, it's really awkward to do it with a single hand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like for clamps, I have like a dial indicator clamp, like you'd use for doing like wheel run out. And I, I've made like a hose clamp and some split loom around it to like slide my phone in and I'll like clamp that on stuff if I'm doing like torquing stuff. But I really like the, the chest one that I just bought. I've been using that a lot for the 
the videos I've been doing last week and this week. I do need to work on the editing though, because I got a few comments that were saying like it's shaky. And I guess some people are very, uh, they say they get like almost seasick if like the camera is moving. So, so you have, I need a, to edit you, the, you have a GoPro mount, but are you using a GoPro itself? No, I'm not. It's uh, I'm using either my phone or my camera. I got work, you. So I would suggest GoPro. I just bought a GoPro eight, like, which is a way old one, but it was, you know, super affordable and it has that, you know, if you're shaking the camera, it like mm-hmm. makes it still it's, it's freaking uh, awesome. gyroscope. I think they're called. I forget yeah. what it's called. You just tap the screen and turn it on. And yeah, it, it definitely helps. Cause I, I just did a truck tour for my YouTube channel and I used that. And there was a couple of times where, Oh, you know, shake the camera, but you can't tell. It's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. I, I was doing some more footage with it, uh, yesterday and today and stuff. And I was really like paying attention to like not shake all the time or if I am working to like keep my tour tour somewhere mm-hmm. centered. And I was like, I think I'll have to mix this with doing the stable cam where it's like clamped to something also. Cause you know, the customer is still paying for the time that mm-hmm. I'm working. So mm-hmm. even though I'm recording what I do, it, you know, it's not a, you know, a discovery channel thing where that's, you know, $10 million budget and they're filming you while you're doing something. I literally have to do all of it at the same time. And I think, uh, uh, the ZK master tech was saying that same thing. Like you're thinking as you're troubleshooting how to do the engine, you're also thinking, how are you going to film this? Um, it was really interesting to listen to him talk about that. Cause as someone that does, is a mechanic and also does YouTube videos, they, yeah, you're, you're thinking about both always at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it's, to me that that was super interesting. Um, listening to him, same with Stephen Cox, you know, he has a, a good YouTube following and same thing to have both going on at the same time can be uh it, it creates certain challenges that if you're just working on the engine by itself is, is a lot different. Like you never think of the lighting on something when you're doing main bolts. Right. But <laughs> if you're trying to record what you're doing while doing main bolts and spraying oil everywhere, it's a lot different. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to pull a nine liter out of an excavator. Ex- I cannot talk tonight. An excavator. Um, I guess within the next two weeks and, I think I'm going to try to record that because I got to pull the engine and pull the head off of it. I could pull the head off in the machine, but it's kind of hard to torque the head bolts down where the engine's at. But I'm sure everybody's going to be like, oh, it's possible that listen to this. I I don't care. My boss is like, let's just pull the engine because I'm sure we're going to do more than just the head. It's got 10,000, almost 11,000 hours on it, so. Yeah, you're you're gonna pull that head and be like, well, I'm glad I pulled this engine out because go uh, it's gonna need more work than that. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do a, you know, bottom in too. But uh, I think we pretty much hit everything on the YouTube. <laughs> uh, that covered it pretty much. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Then YouTube's. I mean, that's where people know from. No one knows me from work other than like you know thirty guys I work with. So yeah, that's that's where most people know me from is YouTube, and I don't. I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have really anything else. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm a very tight niche market. I'm literally on YouTube and I pretty much only do like cat engines for the most part. So cool, man. And do you ever work on in any equipment like yellow iron, anything like that? Uh, so like I said, I try, not that I try, like whatever they give me to work on, I'm, I'm going to have to work on, but my specialty is engines. So I was doing mm-hmm. literally doing a skid steer, um, 
when was this? This would have been last week, but it was the engine. So someone else had pulled the engine out. It was, I think it was smoking. I didn't troubleshoot it. So I was given it. The cylinder head was already pulled off. It was a 3.3 uh, cat boda, as oh, I yeah. call it, because yeah. it's just a Kubota. <laughs> cat boda. Yeah. 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 They're decent little engines, mm-hmm. but um, I ended up, the head was already off. I ended up pulling the pistons out and uh, found like most of the rings were lined up for some reason, the ring gaps. Not sure why, but um, we ended up honing the cylinders in-house and then uh, put new rings on it, put it back together. And then the other guy that pulled the head off, he ended up putting it back in the skid steer. Um, so out of a, I could probably name literally like the amount of equipment I've worked on. And it, it, it would definitely fit on my fingers. Like I did a compression <laughs> test on a skid steer once, a different one. Um, I did an overhead on an excavator. I had to do an in-frame on a C18 in a, I think it was a 745 haul truck. Um, that was a real pain. Ooh. I did a video on that one. <laughs> um, I did a service on a mini excavator. And that's about it. Like I, I have not worked on much equipment, really. Um, we cool. do have, I think, a D8 that I have to pull the cylinder head on though, uh, coming up. So that could be... That will definitely be some good video fodder if I end up doing that. But I, that's still up in the air. It's getting some big undercarriage work done right now. So I don't know the, uh, I don't know when or if that'll get done. But if uh, if I do end up pulling the head, I'm pretty sure I'll do a video or a series on that one, depending on what we end up doing. Sweet. So I guess we'll switch it up a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you say you got a few customers that come in just because of YouTube. Um, now, are they communicating with you directly or are they still having to go through the service department? How does that work out? That That's a pretty complicated setup. So like the videos, I tell you, go to adeptapeatyahoo.com, which is like my, that's how, if someone wants to get a hold of me, that's how they get a hold of me. Now, obviously that's not a company email address. So pretty much everyone contacts me through that way first. And I get... I don't know how many emails I get, maybe 30 a day. And a lot of them are, hey, I've got this C7 motorhome and it won't start. Or I think it needs a Huey pump. Or I've got a C15 that I just turned up to 800 horsepower and now it's making a knocking noise. Or, <laughs> you know, I, I get endless questions like that. But I, they, I get a very wide range of questions. Some of them are like, hey, I'm 16. I want to be a mechanic. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Or I'm 50. I want to change careers. I want to be a mechanic. Are you nuts? But anyway, um, <laughs> that's almost exclusively how people contact me. That, that's really the only means by which people can contact me through YouTube is uh, that email. So I get those emails every day. And sometimes it's people that say, hey, I would like you to work on my truck. And I'll say, okay, well, I work in Idaho. Are you willing to come up here? And sometimes they say yes. So in that case, I'll pretty much always give them the number for the location I'm at and be like, hey, call and speak to our service writer because I don't do the scheduling. I don't do quotes. Um, I can give you like a rough estimate on something for how long it'll take and how much it'll cost. But if you want to get in to have me work on it, you need to call Western States. So um, it's usually that order. And sometimes I'll give someone a number like, hey, call this number if you do want to get worked on. And I never hear from them again. And then four months later, they're on the schedule. So um, <laughs> like tomorrow, I supposedly got a, a truck with a, I think it's a 3126 coming in. I have no idea why it's coming in. It's probably someone that emailed me like a month ago and I gave them the number and they just stopped contacting me and spoke to the service writer. So it's it's kind of, 
it's complicated. There could be a, probably a lot simpler system, but that's kind of the very uh, Rube Goldberg style uh, system we have going on right now. And I imagine that like, if you have an issue or, Hey, I found this issue, we need to repair it, but there's also other problems I need to diagnose after we repair this. You're not talking to the customer directly. Uh, sometimes. Or- so like, I don't give my phone number, but yeah. some of them are going to hang out because a lot of them, if they're coming from out of state, obviously mm. they're don't really have much else to do when they're here. <laughs> so, um, some of them, they hang out in the lounge. If it's something that's going to be like, Oh, I'm getting an overhead done. If it's something major, like I've had people come in for in frames and stuff, obviously they're not going to hang out in the trucker's lounge all day, but, um, I actually prefer the ones that I get to talk to directly. So sometimes they come in, they talk to the service writer and I never hear from them directly, you know, and any information you're going to get, I would say you want to get it as directly as possible. Um, not, there's nothing wrong with our service writer, but it's, it's complicated when the customer tells him, but he wants me to work on it instead of him telling me directly. Um, so stuff can get missed that way. Um, so yeah, if they are there, I will almost always talk to them directly as far as like the troubleshooting, the symptoms, you know, I'm not collecting their money. I'm not giving them quotes. If it is something like, Hey, we're going to need this fixed. Then we always got to go up front and, um, get stuff paid for, get it quoted, stuff like that. But usually for symptom troubleshooting, um, anything weird, if I find stuff, I try to let them know directly. Uh, I think they prefer that also, at least if I was in that situation, if I had a trusted person, I would want to speak to them directly myself. Um, but obviously, you know, they're not like paying me under the table or anything. It all goes through the front (laughs) counter, but yeah, usually I, I try to talk to them if they're on site, person to person. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why I like being a field tech because you basically talk to the customer directly, no matter what, you know, until the, until it's time to close out the build and that's the service writers issue. Yeah. Yeah. What do you owe me? I actually, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I was a field mechanic. I know yeah. I didn't go over the, uh, the like working in Las Vegas thing, but um, if you wanted me to talk about that some more, I can, but sure. when I was on the power generation side, um, so this was, this was like 2006 to 2010 kind of era. And uh, if you don't know, like Caterpillar is, they may be the leading uh, power generation um, diesel manufacturer. They probably are. At least they were in Vegas for sure. So what do I mean by that? Well, you don't know it. Most people don't know it, but there are huge standby generators everywhere. Um, Now in Las Vegas, every casino has at least multiple, well, at least one, but generally a lot more than one of these 3516 gen sets, which are like two megawatts, which is 2000 kilowatt generators. And they're everywhere. They're Therefore, hospitals also. Therefore, data centers, which like Las Vegas has a lot of data centers, um, even for the casinos, but for all bigger companies like Amazon and stuff, there's a lot of data centers there. Um, I mentioned hospitals. Pretty much any large company is going to have either backup or some casinos actually have their own power plants, like uh, the Rio Casino in Vegas. You may not know that, but they have their own like power mini power plant. And a lot of them use these cat generator gen sets. And that's a whole division. It's not part of the earth moving division. Generally, it gets lumped in with the truck side and marine and industrial, um, which is the power generation. Uh, elect- EPG is what they call it, electrical power generation. So as a, and pretty much everyone that works in that department is going to be a field mechanic because 
Normally, a generator on a skid in an enclosed area like a parking garage, you're not going to have that towed into the shop. So um, as a field tech there, we did a lot of it. I was younger then. That was starting out as a career. So I wasn't doing in-frames on these big engines by myself. Um, it was mostly all maintenance style stuff. So we do coolant leaks. Um, you think it's crazy, but these generators, they run block heaters 24 hours a day every day of the year, it, it'll be 115 degrees outside in August in Las Vegas. And you go into this generator enclosure and they got these 200, uh, 240 volt block heaters keeping this engine block temperature up, you know, so that just in case the power goes out, they can apply load to that engine as quickly as possible. Wow. And uh, so a lot of the, a lot of the work on that side is maintenance stuff. Like I said, you're, you're fixing coolant links. There's a lot of problems with the block heaters on that. Um, you're doing oil changes, which that's, that's fun. Cause those, the bigger ones hold like a hundred gallons of oil. They can have, I think it's three stacked, uh, cartridge styles, oil filters. And then they got like five fuel filters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's a whole thing called load banks, which I don't know if you're familiar with those, but, um, anyone that's worked on generators familiar with a load bank. And what it is, is a, an enormous heater. It is a, like the, Type you'd plug in your wall, you know, and it like a little toaster element in it. Well, they have ones that are literally the size of a trailer, like a truck trailer, and they are very efficient energy wasters. Um, so literally, you will be running all these four out cables, and most of these generators are 480 volt, three phase, and you hook up these big heaters, and you do a load bank, which is like you're running the generator at full load, so. Think of, you know, a diesel engine with your foot in the floor at full boost, but it's not moving. It's just generating electricity. You're sending all that electricity out to this enormous heater, usually in the summer uh, in Vegas. So you've got a (laughs) two megawatt heater outside and a, you know, 3000 horsepower generator running inside. And you're just wasting the electricity and you just go in every 15 minutes and you take your coolant temp readings and your, you know, oil pressure readings. And then you measure like the current on each phase of the voltage and stuff like that. And um, that's a lot of what the power gen side is. And you get to see a whole different side of Vegas because you're not on the strip. You're usually behind all these casinos because they're generators, obviously. In the Bellagio, they're not in the fountains. You know, they're (laughs) underneath the ground or they're in the parking garage in some weird location. Um, so yeah, that's a very interesting, uh, field that if, you know, maybe you don't like equipment, but you like electricity and diesel engines, that would be a really good field to get into. Um, and those are everywhere. That's not just Vegas that has this. Every city is going to have a power generation department, you know? Yeah. We, so that's, we have one here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Like any, any town's going to have, you know, Antarctica I'm sure has some sort of generator technician uh, probably more than one keeping that place going. You got to, got to have electricity no matter what you're doing. So that's a, it's a pretty cool field to be in. Yeah. I've, I've worked on one. I think it had a, I'm probably wrong. Is there a such thing as a C22? Cat engine? Uh, there's a C27. There's a C18. Big, I've never heard of a C22. Maybe. I don't know. I, I It's been so long ago, but it. There's a worked. C32. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. It's, it was a big V. Whatever the V12. It's a V12. V12. It was a big V12 engine. A big son of a bitch. Yeah, those are much smaller than the actual, the 3500s. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're like the next family size above that. They're pretty cool. They have individual cylinder heads. You can pull cylinder packs off without pulling the oil pan off. They're pretty cool. 
the like the C32, the C27, what you're talking about are those are in the same family as like the C15, which almost everyone's heard of, or like the mm-hmm. 3406C. That's yeah. the same engine family. That's just a, a V12 arrangement of a, uh, the inline six, basically. So pretty good engines. They use the same injectors design and everything. Okay. Yeah, I've done my time with 3406s. Okay. <laughs> Best engine ever made. <laughs> are you sure? I'm just kidding. I did watch your video <laughs> on the new uh, Common Rail. I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's all I deal with is common rail and John Deere, but yeah, um, well, that's, that's the way everyone's going. I, um, that video did good. So that's the C 13 D, um, which cats made a C 13 since 2004, but apparently this is a whole different beast. That's why they, I guess that's why they call it the D designation. And a lot of people seem to think that that is a different engine that cat is, just rebadging. I don't think that's the case though. So um, actually uh, I got to be a little secretive on this one, but I'll just say someone from Caterpillar reached out to me about that engine and about that video. And I may be doing some, we'll just say very close to the source content on that engine in the future. So um, yeah, I'm kind of excited. Breaking news. (laughs) Awesome. So if, yeah, if I do end up doing, obviously anyone who, is on my channel. We'll see it immediately. But um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what that's going to be yet, but I'm, I'm in talks with, with, uh, with daddy cat, not, not cat like Western States cat, but cat, the manufacturer right now about that engine. So nice. And they contacted you through this video or. Yeah. So they, they sent me an email on the adeptape yahoo.com. And like, it's, you know, we're a one man operation over here at the adeptape <laughs> channel. I, I do it all, obviously. I mean, yeah. you could tell from like the way the videos and stuff are put together. Obviously it's, it's someone who is not professional at video editing, but I try my best, but yeah, I answer everyone's emails myself. And like, it, I really wish I could outsource that. Um, cause it's so time consuming, but at the same time, everyone that emails me, it's someone that's asking for help. Mm-hmm. It's someone that, you know, most people, I'm not saying I'm the most knowledgeable cat mechanic. There's, there's guys that have been working on cat truck engines since before I was born. Um, and there's guys in my comments that know more than me who've been working on it for as long, but guess what? They don't have YouTube channels. So <laughs> if, so, you know, someone, an 80 year old guy, he has a cat engine in his motor home. It's got an oil leak. He doesn't, you know, he probably doesn't know what's going on. I'm happy to look at a picture he sends me or give him mm-hmm. advice. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the same thing, like, uh, they emailed me on that, uh, my adeptapyahoo.com email. And uh, I was like, oh, oh, wow. And they literally had like the at cat.com uh, username. So I was like, oh, this oh. is some, this is legit. So <laughs> yeah, they just reached out and said, oh, I watched your C13D video. And I ended up watching some other videos. And I, you know, told them the, uh, as I tell everyone, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to watch my videos. But they were, uh, they were like, yeah, we'd really like for you to, you know, maybe work with us in the future. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what I got. And like I said, I don't know what that's going to be yet, but that's currently uh, what I'm kind of in talks with them about. Cool. Sweet. So I don't really want to talk about tools unless there's anything specific you want to talk about. Um, uh, I, I think we own, we both own lots of tools. I don't, but I don't find them particularly interesting really. Yes, thank uh, you. I do. But I do have a question because everybody's going to want to know. Do you drink the Milwaukee Kool-Aid? So I am a Milwaukee owner. Um, 
I don't own Milwaukee, obviously. I own their tools. The way I, I usually tell people Milwaukee is a battery company that sells tools to fit their <laughs> batteries because their yes. freaking batteries cost more than the tools themselves. So I own, like, I used to have a bunch of Bosch stuff, which mm -hmm. is good. They make fine products. What they did not make is a three-quarter inch electric impact. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was like, God, I really like having Bosch stuff. Like everyone else has Milwaukee but they didn't make a three quarter impact. And I wanted an electric three quarter impact. And I watched like the, if you've seen the D boss garage videos or anything about the Milwaukee impacts, they're excellent tools. So I sold the Bosch stuff and I got Milwaukee stuff. However, I didn't want to spend an extra $4,000 to get batteries for all of them. Although I do have some <laughs> Milwaukee batteries like the M12 ones. Most of my Milwaukee batteries are the like aftermarket. Uh, let's just say they're red and black, but they do not say Milwaukee on them anywhere. Um, yeah. And I've had pretty good luck with them. Um, I even dropped one once and like cracked in half and I literally just glued <laughs> it back together and it still works. Um, so yes, I do like Milwaukee tools, but uh, I'd be hard pressed to spend, you know, several days wages on a freaking battery that's going to be dead in a couple of years. So yeah. that, that's the way I look at Milwaukee. I've been, uh, I got to stop. Um, I bought a half inch flex head ratchet, locking flex head ratchet the other day, but I think that's it. I think I'm done. Finally. I don't, I don't need any more tools. I don't plan on doing this much longer. So I think I'm done. I'm going to pay it off and unless there's something I absolutely need, but I'll stick to like Amazon. If I need a socket, I'll just go buy a socket on Amazon or something like that. As far yeah, as ex expensive snap on or anything like that, I'm done. I've got a lot of Sonic stuff yes. on and my plan was, okay, I'm going to buy, which I think Sonic's is like, they're definitely a tier above like Harbor freight impacts yeah. and stuff. Um, I would say, and I've had them for over a decade and my plan was, okay, I'm going to buy this whole kit and then when I break the three quarter, I'm going to get a snap on replace it. I've literally never broken any of their stuff. <laughs> um, so that's kind of now I now as a well, your wife's a cat dealer employee. Cat has their own brand of tool yeah. um, and you get them at cost as a cat dealer tech. And most like their sockets are snap on. They say cat. Mm hmm. The wrenches used to be snap on. I think they're Williams now or something. But you get when you look at the prices as a cat dealer tech for what they are. They are super ridiculously cheap for you because um, you're getting them at the dealer cost. Um, yeah, I I like going this. I really like our snap on guy. Not that I dislike the other guys, but the snap on guy and I get along really well. Um, and I went on his truck. Well, I go on it every Friday and I just kind of look around and you know, the younger guys are like, oh, I need this and this. And I'm, I've been in doing this long enough now that I, I don't need another ratchet. I don't really need hardly anything. The last thing I bought was he had, um, not to drink the Milwaukee Kool-Aid, but have you seen these Milwaukee like fluid transfer pumps? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's, it's pretty big. It's like, yeah. I don't know, 18 inches and you just slap the M18 battery in there. And he was trying to sell one for someone else that was getting out of the industry. And it was like a deal. It was like a hundred bucks. Um, and he had the extra, uh, the extra gears for it. So I was like, I can't pass that up. And I, I pay cash for tools. I don't, I hardly buy any tools anymore though. <laughs> um, 
And I, I bought it over a month ago. I haven't, I haven't touched the thing. It's been sent in my toolbox. And then I was working on this car hauler today. And anyone's worked on a car hauler, they are so low to the ground. Like, you can't even get a jack under the front axle to get them up. They're so Jeez. low. So I had to somehow drain the coolant and then put it in another thing. Well, I use that Milwaukee transfer pump. But if you've used it before, my gosh, like, I'm definitely putting an Amazon affiliate link on that thing when I do a <laughs> video about it. Because that thing, it moves fluid like nobody's business i was i was like oh pretty happy with my uh, tool purchase there yeah, but zk master tech just did a video of one his brand new one and it was like yeah. hit the switch and instantly fluid it was like quick yeah i'm interested i wonder how long the battery lasts in that thing because i think yeah. i had the six amp battery and that thing i mean that thing scoots some fluid through that um but I, I was surprised with how fast. So it's pretty awesome too because it's clear, so you can see the fluid going through there. It's yeah. easier to clean out and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I really, gosh, they and the the dealership here actually gives you a, a small tool allowance. You're supposed to use like you can use it towards your boots and safety glasses and stuff like that, and anything left over you can use towards um, tooling. And I bought boots last year, and I had like 200 bucks left over, and um, you know, I I bought some tooling. But yeah, when you it's kind of a weird relationship you have as a mechanic, right? So when you start off, you're making the lowest you're going to make in your career, most likely. But you have the highest initial buying because until you hit a certain critical mass of tooling, you can't do everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just have a crescent wrench. Like you need a certain several thousand dollars in tools to be even an apprentice, I would say, um, where you're going to be asking guys all the time for tooling. And I'm a nice guy. I will loan you stuff. But like it is, in my opinion, very rude to keep asking for the same thing, especially more than twice. So um, I've always been of the opinion if I'm going to order it on Amazon before I even ask you to borrow it. Um, at least that's how I've always been. And some guys, I guess they have a different relationship with their tools and coworkers than I do. <laughs> yes, I agree. I don't let people borrow my tools barely. That's my, I spent my hard earned money on that stuff, you know, unless it's my coworker, maybe sometimes, but our truck drivers and stuff, I don't let them borrow my tools because I've seen them handle tools before and they can kiss my ass. Yeah. And they don't, that's your livelihood, man. Mm -hmm. You said you're, you said you're not going to be doing this much longer. Like, are you, do you have a set like age you want to get out of this industry or are you well thinking of getting into something else? I wouldn't say I'm going to stop doing this, but the boss has plans for me at my current job. Um, and eventually I think I'm going to transition transition into not being in a field truck anymore. I'm going to handle more. I don't even know. <laughs> He's got this plan and he won't tell me, but eventually I don't think I'm going to be spinning wrenches anymore. You know, maybe. Hmm. But I hope to not be doing this. I'm, I'm about to hit my 18th year of uh, turning wrenches and getting a little burned out. Like, I've been working in the I, shop. I just did a cab on a 350G uh, deer excavator. And I'm like, man, this is kind of nice. I kind of like working 7 to 3.30 and being here at the shop and then just going straight home, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting a little burned out. I can, I can understand that. I, I'm a shop guy. I, like I said, I used to work in the field for a few years on the power gen side, but I, I don't like the field service to tell you the truth. Um, 
it's kind of guys either love that that side of things or they like being in the shop and i yeah. you know it's not a judgment on anyone that likes that better you need both types of guys like you know if you got an excavator out in the field and it's broke down like i don't want to go out there and work on it but someone does like they prefer that um that independence um that's not really i like like you said knowing that i'm usually going to get off at the same time um, I've got coworkers around me. Uh, all my tools are there. Like, oh, I don't have the part. Oh, well, the parts will come when they come. Um, <laughs> you know, you're not scrambling and trying to go to different places to get the parts and stuff. And I, and I understand the burnout, too, because I actually stopped wrenching for two years. Um, I didn't want to. My plan was like, oh, I don't want to be 40 turning wrenches. And I at my old cap dealership, they have like a, they call it a PSSR. Mm-hmm. It's like a parts service uh you're basically, you're, you're a service salesperson. Yeah, you're um, a customer service, blah, blah, yeah. Yeah, at, yeah. You, the John you Deere dealer, it's a CSA, but I know what a PSSR is just because of my wife. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, it was on the truck side, so it was kind of a, it was a weird position because you're, you could have the same clients as your earth-moving counterparts, but you only handled the trucks. And then there was another side called like the TEPS manager, which... Cat dealers sell parts to like Peterbilt and Freightliner for cat parts. And I kind of, I did that for two years. Um, it was a very good job. Like if you wrote down all the benefits to that job, to like the benefits of being a truck mechanic, you'd be like, oh, you'd be nuts to be the mechanic. But I miss being a mechanic. I really, I, I identify as being a mechanic. Like, you know, no one's ever been on a sinking ship and be like, oh my God is anyone a salesman? You know, like <laughs> you like, okay, a That's doctor, awesome. uh, mechanic, like the trades, like those are jobs that you kind of, you, you kind of get in your blood, I think. And, and you identify with that, you know? Um, and that's kind of how I saw it. And, you know, my manager was really nice. Like the money was really good. Um, and it was a, like I said, you, you list all the, the perks of that job and the, they were almost endless, but I just didn't like it. I remember telling my wife, I was like, yeah, just not, I really, I don't like it. Um, and she's I miss, like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. You're like, I miss the grease under my fingernails. <laughs> it's something. Well, I was, I always used to wear nitrile gloves, so I never mm. had grease on my fingernails, but um, we are not allowed to wear nitrile gloves anymore. So, uh, but still have to wear gloves now. They're cut resistant. That's mm. a, that's a sore point with uh, most of the techs, but I think most dealerships are going that way that you have to wear um, some sort of cut resistant gloves, which they're paying you to be there and that's their policy. I may disagree with it, but you know, especially with me making videos, I'm going to wear the gloves. So yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, so. Oh, well, so different, you know, compared to you, to you, to me, you work for a dealership. I work for a private construction company, so I don't have customers. I treat, treat the crews as if they were customers, you know? So it's, yeah. a, it's a lot different, a lot easier, a um, lot more laid back, but I do enjoy the field, man. It's, it's nice to get away and, you know, get, get a little bit of windshield time and then have a little bit of freedom being out in the field and, you know, grab lunch if I want to or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I said, that, that freedom, it's like the sailors, I think in kind of the olden days, like, Hey, you can work in this factory making widgets your entire life for one penny a day. Or these guys are like, I'd rather die on a ship. 
you know, like the freedom of being out of that locked in one place. And I, I get it. It's kind of how you're wired, you know, it's, you know, like some people are, they're naturally gifted with art. I'd say, I think, um, it's kind of, it seems like the guys that want to do the field stuff, they, they, they naturally drive to where that, and some guys like being in the shop. Um, you know, I've done both and I, I know what I prefer, at least at this stage in my life, maybe when I'm 50, if I'm still turning wrenches, I, maybe I'll be sick of the shop, you know, who knows? Cause you obviously as you age, your, your tastes change in many ways, you know? Yep. You know, they call it, they call it a midlife crisis, but you can have a midlife crisis in your twenties. It doesn't matter. You know, if you want to change something up, you're going to, uh, yeah. Kind of want to talk about some wrenching stuff. We kind of just been talking about tools and stuff, but, um, you know, I don't. I haven't talked to a lot of cat guys. I think <laughs> See, I, I lose track of who's been on here, and but I, I think I've had a couple of uh, cat guys. But like, so you're a truck guy. What are more yep. common issues that you encounter? Uh, you know, working on these engines and stuff, and you know, <laughs> I, me working like on fleet equi- a fleet of equipment it's mainly all the same machine. So it's like I hear of a problem like, Oh, it's, it's that I know it already. How often do you run into that working on these trucks? So that's a tough one. I have a very good long (laughs) answer for that. I guess I have to. Yeah. So I have to, how do I, how do I start answering that question is, is how I'm trying to broach the subject. Um, so as a truck mechanic, like truck mechanics, a, a misleading term for generally for a cat, uh, truck shop mechanic is mm-hmm. you have to remember the trucking industry has changed a lot. Um, I mean, all the industries have, right. But cats always made a bulldozer, right. Since they've been making dozers and they've pretty much made everything on that dozer. Um, for the most part that I know of. So you know, in the 1960s, if you were an earth moving mechanic, you had cat excavators and you had dozers and you probably had to know the engine and the drivetrain and the tracks and everything, you know, um, not the electronics then, obviously, but the cat truck shop guys, there's always I don't want to say an animosity, but those two are like almost separate companies because the truck shop guys, historically, cat only made the engine. Cat didn't make the cab. Cat didn't make the transmission. Cat didn't make the radiator even. Um, so you as a cat truck guy, and when I started in the truck shop in 2010, which was the last year cat was making truck engines, um, that's all we did. We just did cat engines, and predominantly that's all I still do. So, uh, for instance, most of the jobs I worked in the first couple of years I was a cat uh, truck shop tech, was warranty jobs. And those were mostly on school buses. Uh, Thomas and Bluebird built school buses because they, in the Clark County School District, which is in uh, Southern Nevada, had something like 800 cat engine school buses. And they all had these like seven year engine warranties on them. So we would have, we had so many school buses to work on and they all had the same engine. It was always C7. Um, and they were Huey engines, if you know what that is, yeah. uh, which, you know, oil fired injectors, basically. And 
we did like endless injectors, endless Huey pumps. Um, and you'd end up doing, you know, water pumps and stuff like that. But that's all we did was the engine. Like, Oh, the, the drive shafts out of this, like wobbling on this bus. So, so like that's someone else's problem. Oh, the transmit, the Allison's bad. Who cares? We're doing warranty work on the engine. Um, and that's pretty much how all the cat truck shops, my understanding is at least that's what they worked on. Now, if you worked at a Peterbilt dealership or Kenworth or whatever, a Kenworth or a Peterbilt could have a cat engine in it, but also the whole truck is that dealership's truck, mm -hmm. right? So you, and you know, I'm sure there's guys that specialize, oh, this guy does cats and Cummins engines and this is our drive shaft guy and blah, 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 blah. But as a cat dealer tech on the truck side, you're basically an engine specialist. And that's all I really did. And that's mostly what I do now. And we actually had a chassis dyno um, at the old dealership. And I was like, when I left, I was the only one that knew how to operate it. So um, I really got to learn a lot about the truck engines. And like you were saying, oh, it, it has this problem. I usually know what it is already. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I do because CAD only made a certain model, certain number of truck engines that you ever see on the road anymore. And for the most part, those are, and I'll try to I don't, I don't even, this wouldn't be chronological. It would be, I'll just say from like the size of the engine range, right? So mostly those engines you're going to see are like the 3116 that turned into 3126, which turned into the C7 or turned into the C7S. That's the CAT 7.2 liter engine. Those are the ones that are in school buses. Those are most of the engines you see in motorhomes. Then you have kind of like the nine to 10 liters. So you'd have like the C9, which is pretty much only an RV engine. Um, and then there's like a 3306, which don't really see in trucks that much. They were in trucks, but they're kind of older and they're rare to see in trucks. <laughs> Cat made it what they call 3208, which was a V8 non-lidered. It kind of, if you've ever worked on it, it's basically like a small block Chevy. It has really small rod bearings and main bearings, um, but it's a Cat diesel engine. It's a 10 liter actually, but you work on it and you're like, this, this is a weird, <laughs> weird designed engine. Um, and then you get into like the bigger stuff, like the C10, 11, 12, 13, and then they skipped to 14, then another C15, 346E. Um, and that's pretty much the whole truck market. Um, unless you got something weird like a, a military Oshkosh machine that had like a C18 in it, but which some people don't realize the C18 and the C15 are the same block and head and everything. It's just different displacement, basically. Mm -hmm. So you're asking, like, oh, do you know a common problem? Like, okay, a crank no start on the C15. There can only generally be a few things that that usually is. I usually ask, are there check engine lights? And then usually people say, well, I don't have CAT ET. I don't know. So if I'm working on it, though, if you if I plug into it, let's say it has all the injector current faults, you 99% chance you have a bad ECM. Mm -hmm. It's very unlikely that somehow the harness has been cut in a way that you have shorted out all six injectors at once. So um, like a fault like that. Um Let's see, a 164 fault on a Huey engine. That's that's a Huey system problem. And usually that's only one of two things, like an injector seal or the Huey pump itself is usually the cause. And, you know, if you can tell me a symptom on one engine, and that's usually what people email me about, I can generally tell you like a narrow range of what is most likely the cause of that. Now, sometimes I go down pretty far paths with these people, especially over email, um, sometimes phone calls, but it's almost always email. And Sometimes it'll be something I've never heard of or even 
Didn't even know it, it was a possibility, but usually it ends up being what I initially told them it would be because, you know, as you know, repetition is kind of what builds speed in this industry because you, you'll see the same problem over and over and over again, you know. So that's, that's kind of the way similar to equipment. Like a C7, I've never seen blow a head gasket. Uh, C15, they blow them all the time, but it's not the head gasket's fault. It's because the liner sinks. Um, you know, every en- there's no perfect engine. Every engine has uh, quirks, we'll say, that over time develop, and that helps you troubleshoot them better the more experience you have with them. So I've never experienced a liner sinking. <clears throat> How exactly does that happen? Because I think I have that issue on this 9-liter that i got to pull out. So that's a very good question. What... um. What is this a C9 or it's a it's a John Deere or something? It's a John Deere, so it's a 6090, uh, six cylinder, nine liter. Um, Okay, I never really worked on the John Deeres, but if it's a linered engine, um, so a liner sinking will cause your head gasket to blow. Your head gasket could blow for other reasons, like for some reason if you lose tension on the head bolts, um, you know, if you severely overheat it. But for a C15, for instance. If it blows the head gasket out, it's almost certainly because the liner sank. Now, obviously, liners aren't floating. You know, they're not sinking in that way. What it means is your liner sits somewhere on the block, right? Mm-hmm. Either it sits flush on the deck or it sits slightly recessed like a C13 or I know some of the Cummins, they're not flush on the deck right there. And I don't know how the the what do you call it? The 6090 is, mm-hmm. do you know, does that sit on the deck or does it sit recessed in the block? Man, I'm brain farting right now, to be honest with you. I don't even remember what it looks like with the head off. It's been so long. It's been okay. four or five years since I pulled a head off of nine liter. Okay. So uh, you, you need to do more engine work, man. Get away from I wish. All that hydraulic garbage. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, basically there's going to be a liner protrusion measurement for mm-hmm. any liner engine. And what that is, is that liner needs to sit at a certain height above the block Mm -hmm. because there's a certain crush on the fire ring of the head gasket, right? Mm -hmm. So if it, if the liner for some reason moves down into the block, you're losing that crush on your fire ring. And that's why it blows the head gasket out. That's what happens on C-15s. They, over time, they'll wear, because they sit on the deck and over time, they'll wear into the deck. Okay. So Um, they're actually turning and wearing. Eh, not really turn it, but you know, every time you have a combustion cycle, yeah. it, it's going to slightly expand and contract and you. every heat cycle. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be really interested to see what the exact cause is. Um, but yeah, over time and they can, and especially in between the cylinders, you have a very narrow channel of steel mm-hmm. um, to draw from, even though the flange is the same size. So what they're doing is they're sinking in, you're losing your crush on your head gasket fire ring and once you lose crush, your cylinder pressures are so high and so much heat, it's going to blow out that uh, head gasket if it can get around the fire ring. Mm-hmm. So if, if yours is a linered engine and the fire ring's been blown out, you need to w- do what they call liner protrusion, which I've got a bunch of videos on that. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a procedure for John Deere where you, you set up a rig that holds the liner in and then you get a sled gauge and you see the liner height and you're just measuring it. If the fire ring's blown out in one spot, you're almost certainly going to have a low spot. And I don't know what the fix is for on a John Deere, but on a C15, you have to cut part of the block out and put shims or either machine a new stainless steel insert, which that has to be done machine shop. But the stainless steel shim, um, they call them liner shims, but 
we can do that. I do that at our shop. I might be the only guy that does that currently at our shop, but, <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of one of the specialties is like, I'm in a very narrow channel of cat engines, but I'm, I would, I think I'm good at them. So yeah, that's, sure seems like that's it. what we're doing. You got a lot more knowledge than I do on engines. You know, I know how they work and you know how to rebuild them, but it's been a long time since I've done any engine engine work, you know, measuring and like you do. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a I've got an engine that's uh, using coolant, and uh, I had to do an EGR cooler on it two weeks ago because it was blown out, and it's still using coolant. Now I'm starting to get oil in my coolant. I'm like, oh, maybe it's an oil oh. cooler, but the way it's acting, nah. I'm mm. pretty sure I've got a head issue or a liner issue or something, you know. Anyway, I don't think That's it really a tricky matters. <laughs> it, well, it's a high-houred machine, so I guess, you know, it could be a little bit of anything. Yeah, I've seen it where the, I mean, the liner, if you get thin enough, like if you get a cavitation yeah. hole, it can actually force oil right into the coolant. Like, you know, people wouldn't even believe that. But, yeah, yeah. you don't you don't realize how much oil pressure is built when that piston slides past the liner. And you, you got to remember, it's coated in oil. So mm. if you've got a thin spot, you know, it can create a tremendous amount of uh, like jetting pressure to force it through thin spots. It's there's a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, not just in yeah. engines that can go on, but um, symptoms that you would never think would be a cause can be a cause. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, looking forward to actually doing it just to do it again. It's been a while and hopefully I find something. Um, kind of bouncing off of that, I guess, you know, do you have any, stories of like you know a crazy job that you've had to do that was really hard to figure out that you can remember um and what you did to fix it or what you did to figure it out <laughs> i've got a lot i mean i've got a lot of them over the years i've got um like crazy stuff that's happened i was load banking a generator once in the the generator and so the big like part that makes the the electricity actually caught on fire um while it was under full load, <laughs> oh. I went in to check the readings and like the windings are literally burning. And the that one had just been rewound by a shop too. And it was a super small shop. Like it was one guy's shop. Um, I think unfortunately that put that guy out of business. Um, Ooh. But yeah, I like went and I was like, oh my God. We like hit the e-stop <laughs> and jumped out. Um, but there've been some, there've been a few tricky ones that I've never been able to solve. We had one in uh, in Vegas and it was a... This was a few years ago. We're talking probably seven years ago. So some of the details, uh, let's just say I may have forgotten some, but it was a in-frame and the guy had wanted a complete engine, but for whatever reason, one of our other shops had in-framed it instead of, uh, I think he wanted a long block or a, a complete engine. And um, after that, his fuel economy diminished significantly. And the facility that did it didn't have a dyno, but we had a dyno um, where I was at. So they, he had driven, he'd either had a tow down or driven it. Um, and it was like 500 miles away or something to have us look at it. And cat has this system called DSN, which is dealer service network. And it's basically like your, your technical communicator, your like head technical guy at cat gets a hold, um, or at the dealership, I should say, gets a hold of Caterpillar and they, you know, they start at the basics with stuff that of course you would check like, Oh, does it have oil? <laughs> Does it have an air filter? Is the boost reading correctly? Yeah. You know, and you do all the preliminary checks, um, but I'm sure they caught stuff. That's why they asked, have to ask this preliminary yeah. stuff. But yep. 
I worked on that truck engine for like a month every day, almost on the dyno every day, um, looking for why it was low on power in the certain narrow band and why his fuel economy had diminished after a rebuild. And this wasn't a, uh, an emissions engine. So there wasn't like a plug DPF. There was no EGR cooler, fairly simple engine. I think it was a C13. Um, and I found all sorts of stuff wrong. Like, Oh, the, the casting number on the head is actually for this different engine, even though it's a C13 at blah, blah, blah. We changed the head. Uh, the cam, like, okay, can we get degree wheels on the camshaft? No, cat doesn't publish those. So we end up changing the cam. We change the lifters. We do all the injectors. Um, this is at cat's prompting. Um, I find that like, oh, it's got lots of air bubbles going in the fuel system. We fix, I find a fuel line that's sucking air. Like, oh, okay, fix it, put on the dyno, same thing. We spent like a month, like I said, on this thing. And tell you the truth, it never got figured out. Um, <laughs> It ended up going to a different dealership that had what they call a par dyno, which is like the highest tier uh, of dynos the cat has for like, they can actually measure the fuel burn rate and like change some of your numbers in the, in the engine ECM that we didn't have. Um, I think they did another set of injectors on it and didn't fix it from my understandings on that one. Um, that was one that kicked my butt. We haven't, we had another one and it might still be coming back maybe next winter, but it, it will smoke. It was a cat long block. And if it's below like 50 degrees, it just smokes like crazy. I, I think and the it, video I watched today, it, you showed a clip of it and it's just dumping smoke out of the stacks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I watched that. That video. one, God, we've spent, it's been in the shop like every winter for like the last three years. And I spent, I think a week on it the previous time it was in one of our other shops. And like, you know, I, I totally see the customer's stance. Like, Hey, I paid a lot of money for this engine. Mm -hmm. It didn't do this before. What the heck's going on. And then you have to look at it at the dealership side too. Cause like the dealership's eating a lot of money on this thing. Cause unless you can prove the cat, you have this part, this injector is causing the failure. They don't pay you. Right. Mm -hmm. The dealership meeting, you know, the tech, you get paid hourly no matter what you do, um, assuming you're working. But, man, the amount of stuff we tried on that engine, like one of the other shops, like, head, we found a, we found a scored cylinder, like all this other stuff. I At the end, I was doing insane stuff, like putting the coolant temp sensors in hot water cups while the engine was still cold to try to trick the ECM. I was putting, like, uh, CAC pressure testers on the boost pressure sensors. We were trying to do like different flash files of different ECMs and never got it licked. Uh, probably the craziest find is one I have a video on is the, um, there was this truck, this guy as a 346B and he wanted us to rebuild it, but uh, he ended up having an independent shop do it. Um, I'm sure it was a lot cheaper. And uh, after the rebuild, the guy looked like he did a good job. Like there were no leaks. It, everything was painted. Everything was clean. It would run hot all the time. And I don't know if you've seen this video. Um, it's not the purple to ruin truck, it is for it? You. It's not a purple truck, oh, okay. no. Um, <laughs> it's a single video. It's not a series. Oh, okay. But uh, it. I've rewatched it since I made it. Usually like if you're, you do editing. So, you know, like when you watch it, you end up watching one thing for so long. You, yeah. you don't even want to see the finished product probably. <laughs> I feel that way a lot of times, but we, uh, he brought it into us. He's like, Hey, the guy put thermostats in it after we changed the radiator. Like it's just got rebuilt. I don't know what the heck's going on. It runs hot all the time. Um, and it, 
it literally like he's only driven it like 400 miles since the rebuild. So we get it in the shop and immediately stuff's stuff's weird. So I do what they call water pump test to see what the water pump pressure is. It's got, it's got like no water pump pressure. I'm like what's got coolant. Like you check the reservoir, which is a steel reservoir. It's part of the radiator. It's full to the top. What the heck's going on here? So I pull it in. I drain the coolant. I get like three gallons of coolant out of this thing, which, you know, usually an engine generally takes about the same displacement it is in coolant gallons, right? Yeah. So a C15 may take 12 to 15 gallons. I get three gallons out. I'm like, what the heck? Maybe the block's not draining. I drain like a quart out of the block. I'm like, what the heck? This uh, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. So I immediately like, okay, this needs to be a video because I wasn't really, I didn't think it, I didn't think it'd be interesting. So I start just pulling lines off and I find this like, I pull a line off. It looks like a rag is stuffed in the shunt line, which most people don't know what a shunt line is. It basically is a line that comes off your reservoir. It goes into the water pump mm -hmm. and its purpose is to force coolant into the water pump since it's pulling from the reservoir from a higher point to get it from air locking. And it's plugged off with this, this like rag. I'm like, oh, maybe that's it. So I like disassemble the water pump. And you can literally see a rust line in the water pump, like right below where the impeller is. So for some reason, well, I know the reason, I'll tell you here in a second, but it didn't, no coolant would get to the water pump. You could fill it up. It wouldn't fill from the shunt line. It had some sort of air bubble because the shunt line was blocked off. Mm -hmm. And it literally just had coolant in like the reservoir and the radiator and nothing in the engine at all. Oh. Um, so I was like, what the heck? So the customer ends up coming in. He's a nice guy, he lives in the area. And uh, I like have this rag on the table and we're like looking at it. It ends up being a mouse's head. <laughs> so a mouse had crawled into this coolant line or into the water pump. It had just blocked off completely the shunt line. Now I do have to blame the previous mechanic on this. Like you don't put three gallons in a 3406C and like, must be good, right? That's um, cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, ship it. And so... <laughs> So yeah, what it, all it ended up being was a mouse had blocked off the shunt line, forcing this air bubble um, that caused this sucker to overheat. Um, that was that was one of the cooler finds I've ever found. But I mean, as a you've probably found like I've found mummified cats and RV radiators and you know dead mice and <laughs> no, stuff like that. But that, that engine wasn't hurt from getting hot or. Uh, apparently so after we did put a lot of coolant in, he ended up taking it i believe he said like it had been because he had driven like 400 miles like that yeah i believe it like cracked the head in multiple Ooh. places and i i i don't remember what he said he he left a comment in that video about what he ended up doing i think he sold the truck or something that there was a that was a bad deal i'm glad i fixed it and wasn't like involved in any of the yes the conflict between the two parties you know oh man that's crazy um, I was just going to, Oh, so how often are you seeing emissions issues, you know, working trucks wise? So that's a good question. So cat never made a truck engine with F um, oh. and cat technically never made an engine with EGR. I don't know if you knew that either, but yeah. even though EGR was technically instituted in what 2004 on pretty much all on highway engines. So, this will be a long rant, but basically Cat didn't use EGR initially in 2004. Uh, their heavy duty products, instead of using EGR, which is what pretty much everyone else was doing, they went to this system called 
Depending on which literature you're reading, it's either an intake valve actuator or a variable valve actuator. Both are the same thing. So if you know how a Jacobs brake works, it mm-hmm. pops your exhaust valve when the piston's on the uh, compression stroke yeah. with no fuel. An IVA or VVA, I'll just say IVA, usually what I call them, is the same thing as a Jake basically, but it's on the intake valve, not the exhaust valve like a Jake. So if you know how NOx is generated, you have very high pressure, very high oxygen content, nitrogen and heat, right? Which is the perfect breeding ground for NOx. And that is in every diesel engine because they have nitrogen, oxygen, which is just air, uh, high pressure and high heat. If you remove any of those, you reduce the amount of NOx. So most people deal with that strategy through EGR. At least that's how they used to solely deal with it was by um, having inert air, which is oxygen depleted air in the exhaust, go back into the intake. Well, Kat was like, what if we just reduce cylinder pressures by uh, controlling the intake valves when we want to, not just when the camshaft tells it to. So that was uh, Kat's strategy. So the IVAs, that was like Kat's initial emission stuff. But really, that's that's not really like the emission stuff we have now, right? So what kind of killed Cat in the truck industry was a perfect storm of like the 08 housing and economic collapse, but also Cat's regen systems. So in 2007, every truck got what? DPFs. Mm-hmm. And Cat's solution to that was what they called the ARD or ARDHEAD, which is after treatment regeneration device. And they still actually use those. Yeah, oh, yeah they still I use know. those today. I deal with them um, all the time. Yeah, they're, they're on equipment. And yes. that's, that was Kat's answer. And the idea is a good one, right? Um, we're basically, your truck's going to be the same. We're just going to put this extra cylinder head on the exhaust and then dump fuel into the exhaust and light on a fire with a spark plug. Well, the problem is those cylinder heads fail all the time, meaning the ARD heads fail all the time. And I don't, it sounds like they do on the equipment still, if, if that's what you're saying. But on the trucks, they did all the time. You get about a year out of them. And they're like a thousand bucks. Jeez. And as a truck driver or an owner operator especially you get a any sort of regen code it's going to shut you down and you can then restart the truck and then 30 seconds later it's going to shut you down again it doesn't matter if you're pulling a hill it doesn't matter if there's no pull off like you're screwed and that was cat's big problem on the on highway that was in all their 07 to 2010 truck engines were these ard systems and that along with uh, the trucking market kind of going, well, they say it went vertical, right? So they went, you know, you used to be able to get a Peterbilt with a Detroit or a Cummins or a Cat or whatever the heck you wanted. Now you get Peterbilt, you get this engine pretty much. I mean, you might be able to pick like a X-15 or the MX engine, but that's it. Um, which the MX are made in-house by Packard, right? So um, that's what kind of killed the the cat truck engine was their emission system. Now those systems are really hard to troubleshoot because there's probably not many people anymore that know how to troubleshoot them properly. They're real finicky. Um, you really have to know how to do a data log and then look at all the graphs. Like why is my pilot pressure here? Why is my main pressure not here? Why is my secondary air so low? I, to tell you the truth, I loved and still like, although we don't hardly see them anymore, troubleshooting those systems. Uh, some of the older guys that like, you know, they could do an in-frame in 30 hours, which I can't do. Um, I, I used to have this guy, I'll just call him Paul. Um, he hated electrical. He hated electrical, like a sensor issue. He would literally just print out the warranty download and show it to me and tell me what sensor to replace. 
And I try to explain to him, like, it doesn't mean it's the sensor. Like it could be, he's like, I don't care. Just tell me which one. I was like, okay, it's all. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, the region systems, he hated them. So I ended up not me. There was another guy that was, he was a little older than me, but we were like the young guys. We would get those all the time. Um, and those were, those were good times because they were under warranty and they were a constant source of work and a constant source of problems. I think most of those trucks that have those systems anymore probably been, you know, illegally deleted, but those systems are, they're overly complicated and problematic. Um, and then cat would probably, most people don't know is cat actually had an EGR system at that time also, but cat, like I said, never used the term EGR. They call it CGI, which is clean gas induction. And they actually never had any CGI problems for the most part. Um, pretty much all their problems were the EGR or not the EGR, the ARD systems. Um, and cat, cat actually still doesn't use the term EGR. They call it NRS, NOx reduction system or strategy. Like, I, I don't know why Cat always has to rename stuff. Like, just call it EGR. That's what everyone else calls it. But <laughs> that that's what they call it. So, yeah, that was like the Cat stint with emissions. But like I said, that was pre-NOx. And then, I mean, there were the Cat trucks, which I don't know how familiar with all of those things. But those did have NOx systems on them. But tell you the truth, I mean, those aren't, those aren't really a Cat product, tell you the truth. So, um, I don't really count those in like the cat chronicles if you want to say that so well how do you feel about uh, so my buddy joe that was on on the podcast with me i don't know if you listened to any of his episodes with me his co-host for a while um i've listened to probably two with him on i think he, i'm bad with names though so <laughs> he uh as much as we support you know deleting and stuff we also are against it. How, how do you feel about, you know, trucks that are deleted and aren't supposed to be or any of that stuff? Um, so I'm a cat dealer mechanic. I, you know, <laughs> fully deleting support them, the emissions <laughs> yeah, <laughs> system. I, I 100% cannot tell you to do that. That being said, I understand why people do it. Yes. Um, I mean, these systems, most truck modern truck problems, it seems, are emissions problems. You know, you've got this like like DEF. It is literally the worst possible fluid you could devise to have in a equipment or truck application. Like it's water based, so it freezes, right? If it gets in a connectors, it crystallizes. Mm -hmm. Um it crystallizes if it dries out, so it plugs everything up. It's it's just a really I feel like it's a really bad solution to the Knox problem, right? Um, and that, but and and at the same time, they've got two different systems trying to deal with Knox. You've got your EGR and DEF at the same time, and both of those problems or both of those systems are problems problem prone, right? I mean, you're putting carbon into the intake, which plugs up your EGR cooler, yeah. and then you got this DEF system, which is water based and crystallizes when it dries out. So. I 100% understand why guys do it. Now, that being said, uh, you know, a lot of places aren't going to touch your truck if it's deleted. Um, you can get very heavily fined. Uh, I mean, the driver, the owner can get fined. But like these shops that were doing the, the deletes and stuff, those guys have been, you know, with, some of those fines are like in the millions of dollars, I believe. Right. <laughs> so it's it, so our strategy or not strategy, but like. I usually tell people like, look, I work on your truck. Um, it, you know, I, I don't, 
if you need me to change your water pump, fine. You know, whether, no matter what you've done to the truck, I don't mind fixing your water pump. However, I can't touch your emission system outside of fixing it. So people email me all the time like, hey, uh, do you know a good way to turn off the IVAs? You know, a good way to delete the DPF or all this stuff. I'm like, listen, I understand. I understand the want to do that. I said, but I don't know anyone. And if I did, I can't tell you, even if I did know of someone, um, you know, it's you're going down a path that it may look good on paper for you. Uh, but in the long term, especially if the EPA or something catches you, that it could basically end your career um, or, you know, you could be winding up with millions and fines and stuff. It, it seems like the shops are more they're more at risk than the owner, right? It seems like the biggest fines and stuff are the people that do the deletes, less so the people that have the deletes. So yeah, yeah, as the mechanic, you have to be extremely careful if you're getting involved in that at all. Yeah, and now that you mentioned, you know, people contacting you like, hey, do you know somebody? I get messages all the time via Instagram or Facebook or I, and they say, I know you know the guy that sells the quote unquote bootleg service advisor cat sis and i'm like yeah i know who it is but i can't legally give that out to you because who are they going to come after first yeah me and my podcast so if you guys are wanting to know i am not the person to tell you if you guys want to find out you need to contact somebody else (laughs) yeah not me because i I get that all the time too (laughs) my podcast is not going down because of somebody and their bootleg software so yeah that's a that's a weird whole industry by itself like the bootleg ets and stuff because like it's not i like what legal gray area are you in there you know you're not literally stealing something you're like creating a license that's fake you know so i don't well i just don't want to be like oh yeah i know this guy he sells this john deere program and like i am technically giving away this which is stealing money from john deere so i want nothing to do with any of that but i know who to call (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I don't even know like you know the bootleg i there's you can go on ebay right now and there's a laptop for 1500 bucks that has you know fifty thousand dollars in licenses on it somehow yeah um you know know whether any of those work or or what i i can't tell you obviously i'm a dealer mechanic folks I get handed a laptop from Caterpillar mm-hmm. that has all that stuff on it that I need already. But yeah. And I understand why people get those bootlegs too. Cause like, you know, you got an RV or you have two trucks. Like, do you want to go get a license for that? Like, you know, it's going to be the customer version. It's going to be, you know, a ton of money. If they'll sell it to you, some dealerships won't even sell it to <clears throat> small time companies. Um, but at the same time, like it's, you're not really, you know, 100% legal here. You're in a really weird, um, you know, it's like the dark web almost or something, you know, yeah. where you're getting some sort of weird bootleg thing. You don't you don't know what you're getting. You know, you do know it's not from the dealer, though. So, yeah, it's it's just expensive. I mean, I have the customer version of Service Advisor and we also use CatSys and ET um, customer versions. And I can do everything with the... Both of them. I can actually do everything with the CAT CCT, whether, you know, it's injector calibrations, any of that software updates, 
But when it comes to John Deere, I can do literally everything I was able to do at the dealership, but replace uh, controllers and update the software. Hmm. It's the only thing I can't do, which is bullshit. But I understand. They got to make their money somehow. Could have their niche. Can you do emissions codes with the, that too? With like clear an emissions fault or anything with are, the customer version? Yes. Uh, are you, you talking can, about okay. cat? I know I can clear latched codes. Uh, either with one. My service advisor. I can clear latched codes. I don't think I've had to deal with that on our cats. We don't have very many cat machines, so I don't get to play with it that much anymore. Um, okay. I think so. Cause I, I had an injector go bad on one of our three, three sixes and I had some emissions codes and I think I was locked out or something like that, but I was able to get it to where I could regen it. But I don't know. It's been a while. I've slept since it works. Then. It works. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting up there in time, man. Uh, we're at an hour and a half. Oh, wow. Um, wow. See, I told you I could talk. <laughs> no, this has been great. This has been fun. Um, you know, I, I'd like to close this thing out here in a few. Um, you know, you're, you know, you got your YouTube channel and you got a big following. And um, do you got any, any advice for younger generations? Cause I'm sure you know, like everybody else, you know, it's hard to find technicians right now. And uh, yeah. we're hopefully getting these younger this younger crowd to come in and want to be mechanics. Do you got any uh, advice for any of these guys, even older guys? Uh, getting in the field. I mean, it's so hard because you can only draw on your personal experience, right? And my, yes. you know, my personal experience is going to be different than anyone else's. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of time I tell people, you know, try not to get into a ton of debt when you're getting into the industry, you know, and as a young guy, let's say you're getting right out of high school, you know, and there's, there's a lot of options if you're going to try and get into the industry. Um, like uh, Western States Cat, for example, they have their own small program called the like the Tech Technician Academy. The problem with it is it's in person and it's in the middle of the day. So it's a great program. Uh, it's very inexpensive. You're almost guaranteed a job with Caterpillar at the end of it. It's about a year long. Um, if it is something you're interested, you know, reach out to Western States Cat. But they only take like... 18 people a year, right? So that's a problem. And not every cat dealership has that. Then you have your options where there's the for-profit colleges. You know, uh, I won't name them by name, but there are a few of them. Uh, one of them is in Wyoming and it is a technical <laughs> institute. And those places, I've known many techs that started out there or there's the one that's biggest in Arizona and, uh, you know, we'll just say it's universal to everyone that wants to go there. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad education you're going to get there. However, they are there to make a profit and you are going to spend a large amount of money to get in that door and then get out with a degree. However, you have to realize even with the degree, once you get out, you're an apprentice still. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't get experience until you get experience. Um, and that's how they're going to look at you. Now, that might help you get in a door at a shop as an apprentice, but the shop's basically going to look at you as the same as a guy that just walked in the street um, that doesn't really have very much experience. Kind of what I did was, like I said, I was taking automotive courses and I got my foot in the door. I didn't start as a mechanic. I was delivering light towers and, you know, doing 
fixing fenders on rental generators uh, to start a Caterpillar. And here I am now. Um, now, maybe when you're my age, you don't want to be a mechanic. But if I'm assuming if you're watching this podcast or listening to it, um, you do want to be a mechanic. So what I usually tell people if they're young and they email me is don't focus on the education as much as you have to get experience. And the only way to get experience is to do stuff. And the only way to do that is to get a job in the industry. Now, unfortunately, there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of like paid learning, like apprenticeships like they used to have, you know, with the blacksmith teaching the younger blacksmith type stuff. So what I usually tell people is like, hey, do you want to work for cat? Look at all their job openings. Do they have a wash bay position, a janitor position, a rental yard guy? A lot of guys at the cat shops started as not mechanic. They were a lot guy or a pressure washer guy. And guess what? They showed up at work every day. And if being a mechanic is what you want to do, there's always going to be openings over there. You will get drawn in over there. And I don't know. I've never worked for John Deere. I've never worked for Cummins. But I can almost guarantee you, and you can speak to this, that there's probably similar situations at pretty much every dealership like that. Mm -hmm. Well said, man. That was a... (laughs) It's almost like you had that rehearsed. I'm just kidding. I've said in a couple videos. <laughs> so it's like, I just push the button yeah, and no, it keeps playing. That's great. Cause I mean, it's, it's 100% true. You know, hands on is always going to get you more experience. Um, shoot, man. That was, that was awesome. I, uh, this was a great episode. I had a lot of fun just listening to you talk about Caterpillar. Cause like you with John Deere, I'm the same way with cat. Like I, I know my way around a cat, but. I couldn't do half the shit that you do. So I think we should close well, this you. thing out, man. I, uh, I'm excited for this one. I, I hope it's a good one and I'll, <laughs> I look forward to listening to it myself. So you, know, you want to listen to your own voice? Uh, I, I <laughs> guess so. I like, lis- I do listen to your podcast. So I, uh, I, I know a lot of guys at work like, Hey, are you recording that thing with Colton yet? I was like, oh, I was going to do it yesterday, but I'm going to yeah, do no, it tonight. They're like, Oh, I, well. <laughs> uh, the perks of owning a early nineties home that has never been updated. Whatever. I digress. It's, uh, <laughs> the, what did I say? Van life for the wind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you guys need to get a hold of me, certified wrench podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you guys are interested in being a guest like Josh here, um, we are a bit out. I'm sure we're going to be into the end of the year before I get everybody cleared out. But if you want to get in line, uh, hit the certified wrench podcast.com and all the way down at the bottom, there's a contact form, fill it out, gets you right in line. I'll get you over questionnaire at some point and uh, we'll get you in line. Hopefully your questionnaire is beautiful. Like Josh is here, which Josh just had a little line, but I knew what he was about. So he got passed on that part. Uh, <laughs> I'm not doing much with the merch right now. I think I'm going to cancel it for good and uh, just do a little bit of PayPal stuff, stickers, maybe some shirts, etc. I'm Merch has got me pissed off right now. Um, Never done it myself. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I go through a company and they charge a ton of money and I make a percentage off of it and it's just not worth it. And the products is crap as I'm starting to learn. And yeah, that's enough of that. Um, if you guys can go over and like, and subscribe the, 
podcast on the YouTube or, you know, rate and review on whatever streaming platform you listen to on? What do you listen to on? Uh, I think I have podcast addict. That's what I listen to. Spotify. Spotify has been screwing me lately. So if you guys listen to the podcast on Spotify, I completely apologize. It's nothing on my side. It's nothing on my distribution. I can't say distribution distribution side it's the spotify app that's giving me issues um i'm just gonna shut up now uh where can people get a hold of you at? i know you've said the emails or any place else or that's not it. really uh i mean if you watch me i'm only on youtube i don't have facebook i don't have instagram or tiktok you know i'm a late thirties boomer over here. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm behind the times, I guess, but I, I like my little YouTube niche, but if you want to directly get a hold of me, it's on every video, but it's a death tape at yahoo.com. Also, um, that's pretty much it. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't sell merch. I've been asked to, but I, like you were indicating, I always thought like, man, that could be a big headache. And now that you saying that's like, oh man, that might've been the right decision not to do that. So, yeah, I'm hoping if I do like make my, cause I make my own stickers now, but I just hand them out to friends or guests that are local. But I'm hoping if I do, it'll actually sell. Cause I'm starting to realize that it's a little too expensive and people don't want to pay for that shipping or anything. So if I do it, you know, we'll see how it works out and if I need to keep it going or not, but that's down the line. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it yet. But anywho, I think that's it, man. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. This was a very informative podcast, in my opinion. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun being on. I, like I said, I I don't mind talking. That's probably why I have a, a decent sized YouTube channel. But <laughs> yeah, you're you're a great host. I've been on one other podcast before, so. I've, not very experienced with this, but I, I think it went well, and uh, I I definitely be on again in the future if you ever wanted me on again. I'm, know, I'm more usually than one person listens to this. <laughs> I'm usually better at doing this like on the weekends after I get some sleep. You know, we worked all day today, and I'm a little bit slow on how I want to ask questions today, but whatever. Anyway, I. I digress on all of it. I am going to close this thing out now, okay? But if you want to come back on, welcome anytime, man. This was great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right, guys. Until next week, uh, we will see you. Thanks, guys. Bye.